Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylics and mediums, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints in New Berlin, New York. An employee-owned company, Golden is dedicated to making the best paints that artists can use in their studios. I've been painting with Golden for over 23 years, and I swear by it. Check out their paints at your local art store or at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. They make amazing coffee and ship their beans to your doorstep so you can have incredible coffee at home. I'm an avid coffee drinker, and I love the coffee that I get from Fulcrum through their subscription service. There's always new coffee to try, and it's always top quality. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com and add the code ALFREDSTUDIO to your order, and you'll get 20% off. That's a pretty great deal. Fulcrumcoffee.com Why I Make Art is out now. My book from the Sound and Vision podcast has features on 30 artists I've interviewed, tons of quotes from the artists I've had on the pod, and even some sketches from the Sound and Vision guest book. It's 25 bucks well spent in my opinion. You can get it wherever you get books or from the publisher's website, atelieredictions.com. And if you get it or already have it, please leave a review and rating where you got it. It's been an amazing response from the book and I hope it gives you inspiration in the studio or in your daily life. Alvin Armstrong is a painter whose work explores the social and political landscape of black American culture. His paintings are often filled with real and fictional subjects culled from archival material, his community, and lived experiences. He's lived in Hawaii, Japan, and California, all of which have informed his art practice. Alvin received an MS in Eastern Medicine and was a licensed acupuncturist before discovering visual arts. The self-taught artist currently has a show at Anna's Arena Gallery titled It Goes to Show, which is open through November 26, 2022. Alvin's work has been featured in the New York Times, Brooklyn Rail, Hyperallergic, Something Curated, Artsy, and Juxtapose Magazine. I spoke to Alvin about growing up a Navy brat, time in Japan, bebop in the studio, acupuncture, finding painting, and much more. Here's our conversation. Nice. So, um, but yeah, you're, so you're in Bushwick. I'm in Bushwick, yep. I've been here since, oh, I, I, I just got this uh, studio, my first studio, in uh, uh, last October. So, haven't even been here a year. Before that, it was three years just in my studio apartment. Oh, in, but in Brooklyn? Yeah, in Crown Heights. I've been in Brooklyn for almost 10 years now. But you were sense. there for a while, right? I was there for three, three years in that studio apartment. Uh, it's basically where I started painting. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, I moved around. You know, before then, I was like in a new place every year for the first like you know, five, six years in New York, just how right. it was. Hopping around. So I got, I got exactly. a little bit of the backstory, I think. I mean, San Diego, right, from the start? San Diego, yeah, I was a Navy brat, so I lived in uh, Hawaii and Japan as well, but, uh, but San Diego from like fourth grade through high school. Did that give you, uh, do you have a little seasonal affection disorder whenever it comes to like, uh, the bad weather? You know, for me, 
it's all about the type of people I'm around. And I just find that like New York is my home, you know, for the type yeah. of person that chooses to deal with all the like fuckery. I, I mean, th there's just no other place I could see myself in the United States, honestly. So yeah. I could care less about the weather, to be honest. <laughs> okay, so it doesn't bug you. Well, you know, San no. Diego. My, so my best friend, he was he grew up in San Diego, and I met mm -hmm. him in grad school, which was in Connecticut. So he was just like, screw this weather, man. <laughs> I mean, it was funny because the first time it snowed, he was like, man, this is crazy. And then like it wore off after like a semester where he was just like, man, is this going to stop like this whole mm. freezing weather thing? But uh, I can imagine you get used to that sunny weather, you know. Yeah, you know, I actually got bored of it, to be honest. Yeah, same thing every day, right? It just, yeah, just like flip-flops and shorts and like, it's just so vanilla. I mean, even as a kid, I was like, this is cool, but everyone's just kind of complacent, you know? And, yeah. and I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, I, had, I just had other things going on, you know, in my head and my heart. And like, I knew it wasn't where I was going to end up. Right. I knew that for sure. Even as like a 10 year old, I knew Gotta I was not going to live in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it. Yeah. There's something like in, you know, and to your point about New Yorkers, uh, it's almost like in a way it's like a marathon runner or something. It's like, it's a test. You know what I mean? You're putting yeah. your body and your mind through the ringer to see if you can handle it because it is not easy. You know what I mean? It's, it's not easy, especially like upon entry into yeah. the New York area. I mean, the, the learning curve is just, it's, it's a lot, you know? It really is. And I think young and dumb is the best way to enter in. Like full of vigor. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to take the city. You know, I'm just going to do this. And you don't know anything. Didn't matter. But yeah, coming to it fully developed. I don't know, man. It's, it, it's, it's a real test, you know? Yeah, it is. Yeah, if you don't have something that's like, you know, worthwhile or kind of intentional i yeah i don't know if i could do it at, at any point other than the point that i did with what was going on and yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's like when i my first spot i crashed on my girlfriend's couch for a little bit mm -hmm. when i first got here and then i i worked and i some of the people i worked with were like hey we found a loft in south williamsburg do you want in on it she was like seven people you know, and this, it was a big, it was like 3,500 square foot. It was about 600 bucks a month. But, you know, I'm not living with like six other people nowadays. You know, there was a, at a certain age, yeah, no you way. just age out of that. But when you're young, you're like, okay, sounds good. I'll do it. Exactly. I too uh, started off on my friend's couch in the, in the East Village on the Avenue, Avenue B in between 6th and 7th. And, um, uh, and, I mean, it was like the thinnest mattress, but you know, we were going out every night and um, the bars around there. I mean, I was seeing like actors and actresses, you know, it was just like enough to like yeah. keep me interested right. and deal with like, just, yeah, it was, it was pretty intense, but uh, fond memories for sure. Yeah. Well, let's go back mm -hmm. to the, the whole, you know, Navy brat, Navy brat, right? It's all Navy mm -hmm. in San Diego. So how much time did you spend in Hawaii and Japan Two my favorite places in the world <laughs> so yeah I, well first of all i'm part japanese so uh, i actually have family in japan my mom's mom is uh was you know from japan is full japanese and um so i was super young i was in first grade uh kindergarten first grade 
uh, in Japan. So only about a little over two years. But, um, and we were on a Navy base outside of you know,、uh, Tokyo Central. So、um, it was really America plopped down in Japan. But because of the family connection, we were going off base and like, actually spending time with. Uh, blood relatives,、um, even though、yeah. we didn't speak Japanese, they didn't speak English, but we, we made it a point.、Um, so that was really young, two, two plus years.、Uh, and then Hawaii was pretty much directly after that. And that was for the, first, the first run in Hawaii was two and a half years from、uh, basically f- late first grade to fourth grade. And,、um, and then I ended up going back to Hawaii、uh, as an adult、uh, because I went in the Coast Guard. For a couple of years just to change careers, <clears throat> but we can get into that as well. <laughs> well, so that's a that's a lot of culture, right? Yeah, and Hawaiian culture. Hawaiian Hawaii is so amazing because it's if you're at, at all involved with a Japanese family, it's kind of like perfect because it's half American, half Japanese, really. Like you can go get spam sushi at the convenience store and stuff, you know what I mean? It's a kind of a cool blend. Yeah, yeah, Hawaii is interesting because of you know, the fact that they brought Japanese to work the fields. It has, you know, and those Japanese people were so resilient, they actually own much of Hawaii, you know,、right. like kind of silently. But,、um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a unique blend that until you spend some time there, you don't really realize. You know, it's、uh, very Hawaiian, but also very Japanese and, and other Asian cultures for sure. So, yeah, the food is. Outstanding because of that. But、um, yeah, yeah, it's a nice blend.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it is definitely you know, the Japanese West Coast experience, or from, from people that I know who grew up in, in California as Japanese, is so、mm-hmm. different than like East Coast, so different than Hawaii in a way. You know what I mean? Because of because all the history of having to, of parents having to try to hide their kids from Japanese culture because World War II and the internment camps and stuff, it was a whole different. Thing you know, like the the identification, the cultures it just seems so complicated. Yeah, you know, my my grandma was pretty much all alone in terms of her Japanese culture, right? You know, she came here after、uh, the war there, and you know, a lot of the history around my grandma, she was so buttoned up tight about talking about that.、Yeah. that like, Even my mom, her, her daughter, like we don't know that much, you know. It actually wasn't until she started losing, she, she passed about a, a couple years ago, but, but it, it actually wasn't until she started losing her,、uh, her memory that she began、yeah. to talk about、uh, her past and like being a kid and the soldiers walking through the house with dirty boots and like little, little nuggets of like history. But like up until that point, my grandma did not talk about. Uh, her transition to the States, really, because she carried so much、uh, in missing her family and in the separation of her family. Some people died from、uh, residual from the bomb and、uh, just a lot of different things. It, so, you know, while、uh, I grew up in a very much like Japanese culture was very much embraced by my mom's side and my grandma, she was、uh, heavy in our lives.、Um, every time we went over there, you know, it was like I was eating the food. While all that was Uh, the case in terms of her history, I know very little. Yeah, yeah, it's tough.、Mm-hmm. It's my,、uh, my father in law doesn't talk about it, but my wife tells me about stories of him like hiding in ditches when the bomb raids went off and stuff. It's crazy, man. But, exactly. You know, my dad was in the army, so there's a lot of stuff he didn't 
talk about either. You know, I feel like this stuff kind of gets buried, you know. That's interesting, though, that she, in a way, that to unlock some of those memories or ability to talk about it was almost like removing the filter where you just you're losing some of your memory and then you're able to just sort of freely talk about it in a way that's it it's a lot to hold on to people hold on to some amazing stuff you know what i mean yeah exactly and you know uh once we realized that like once my mom uh because my mom kind of took care of her until her last breath and um once my mom began to communicate to me uh that she was sharing things i told my mom to record it so my mom actually has recordings of my grandma talking about her childhood um little like like chilling stories like i said that one story of like the soldiers walking through with the boots i mean it's such a big deal in their culture to take off your shoes and like she just remembered that vividly and they were they were giving the kids candy to kind of like calm their like uh their reaction to like dirty boots in the house but uh yeah which is in japan that's a whole nother thing you don't wear shoes in the house. Yeah, let alone exactly. Ones. It's uh, exactly, and it was like, like such a vivid a memory. <laughs> exactly, and we're talking about you know, I mean, she remembered that that vividly, you know. Yeah. Um, but but anyway. So, uh, did you get this feeling that like of always moving around? That you know, were you did you embrace that or was it tough? Because it's hard moving when you're a kid. Yeah, you know, I was I was like a little like. Uh, athletic kid that was just like ripping and running and like I never I always enjoyed kind of like the fresh like hey I'm the new kid and like assimilating and you know it never really was difficult for me um, and it was earlier you know in in my upbringing because um, I got to San Diego in fourth grade and then we were kind of we kind of uh, were there but um, I, I liked it. I really did like it. And, and, and look, you know, some Navy families ended up in like middle America, you know, um, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, on the coast of America. And, um, and so I always thought, you know, Japan and Hawaii weren't, weren't too bad. And, and my parents kind of, uh, chose those places with intention and my dad sacrificed because basically to go to the cooler places, the, the trade-off was like the, the naval ship person had to, uh, basically go on the, the aircraft carrier for six months right. was a trade-off of going to like a more favorable location with your family. Right, right. And, uh, and, and um, so, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I embraced it as a kid. Honestly, I, I don't remember it being difficult. Yeah, did you uh, partake in any of the uh, surf and skate life of, of San Diego? So, so, you know, oh, for sure. Um, is well, it first even an of option? All, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it is. It is, um, I'm sure there's some. Well, well, one crazy memory I have of Japan is on... The, so I lived on this Navy base in Yokosuka, and on the base, it's like a blurry memory, but it's definitely facts. There was a cement full 12-foot half pipe nice. on the base that grown people were skating. And like I remember like uh, little tidbits of like people getting hurt and whatnot. Of course, I never went on it, but it was right by my house. It was cement. I mean, just that was just, that's just like a weird memory I have yeah. from the base on there. But once I got to San Diego, like I said, I was more into uh, group sports. But uh, in junior high, I started rebelling from my dad because of different things, personal stuff. And um, he was gone. And, you know, I was just an adolescent. And, and I, I picked up um, skateboarding. And I always uh, rode waves uh, 
first bodyboarding and then I tried surfing, but mostly bodyboarding with the friends. We would ditch school and, and, and when the waves were good and uh, it was a big part of my life. Um, but the skateboarding, uh, you know, I was breaking boards early on and just by kind of like luck, happenstance, um, Sector 9 is from San Diego and they're right around the corner from the house and my friend kind of introduced me to their boards and so I just started skating like their concave longboards and I ended up at one, one point getting flowed by Sector 9, uh, longer like concave boards uh, just because I broke them all the time. and. Um, and that was just like a small couple years in high school, but uh, skating, surfing uh, were definitely <laughs> part of a, a big, uh, yeah, a big part of um, of my my time in junior high and high school for sure. So it's, what about yeah, usually? Because I grew up skating, uh, like the music went hand in hand with that stuff. But my dad was in the army, so growing up, when he was you know stationed and stuff, he he found like Motown, like Motown was his thing. So we, mm. I grew up listening to like Marvin Gaye and, and my mom loved Anita Baker. And that was kind of like always on in the house. It was like Motown or oldies and stuff like that. And a little bit of classic rock. But then with skating, I got introduced to like alt alternative stuff from like the cure and then like public enemy and stuff like that. It was like a gateway to music. What was your mm. music life growing up? Like, yeah, my music life, my dad liked uh, Roots Reggae and, of course, like all types of like R&B and soul, but a lot of Roots Reggae, like black men uh, harmonizing. Yeah, uh, Skylights um, kind of stuff. Uh, more like um, Gregory Isaac, Steel Pulse. Okay. Uh, so yeah, more contemporary and, than that. Yeah, more contemporary than like the... the the, uh, the early, early roots. Like but, Desmond um, Decker and that stuff. Yeah, uh, D- uh, Dennis Brown, um, a lot of Gregory Isaacs, a lot of, uh, you know, Bob, but Still Pulse was my dad's favorite band. So growing up, um, and again, Motown and all that was definitely uh, there, but my strongest kind of connection to my childhood with music um, is my dad's like reggae. And uh, even kind of before I knew what, what, what it really was in its totality, I knew all the songs and um, it was a, a big part of uh, what kind of like got my heart warm, you know? Yeah. So I, it was it was such an influence that like I just carried that into like whatever I did. It's it's really what kind of got me going musically. Do you still like it? Do you still listen to Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So like um, I, you know, that was my childhood when I got to I went to Chico State and when I got to college, you know, I uh, was the first time I really, I mean, I listened to Sublime and stuff towards the end of high school for sure. Um, That was like the first alternative kind of music that I really embraced. Um, But yeah, uh, Roots and Reggae, you know, was a big part of my life um, for a long time. Uh, You know, these days, all I listen to really is like bebop jazz, like, like, yeah, that's like all I listen to is uh, like the greats, like Miles Davis over and over, yeah. John Coltrane over and over. I'm talking like, I probably listen to Kind of Blue, honestly, once I found it, more than anybody else on this planet. Like, uh, I might <laughs> rival you. Did you read the book? <laughs> oh, Have you read the book? I read, I read his book, yeah. It's such a, really a good, good book. book. And, and um, such a good book, yeah. And uh, I literally, Kind of Blue probably, it's definitely, you know, my favorite album of all time. And... Uh, it would drive someone crazy if they actually understood how much I listened to it. It's, it's one of the, it's, there's a, I feel like there's a few perfect records and that's one of them. Yeah. It's so perfect. I, I'm, I'm deeply in love with it. It's in my car as tape form. Um, 
I just, uh, you know, the, the, yeah. It's Can just you do incredible. that thing? I basically, I mean, I played music when I was young and I was always mm-hmm. doing music stuff, but I can basically hum or like sing every note from that record. Definitely. I even, you know, I don't, I, I played a little bit of music too. Just always kind of like, uh, I played some in college with the college band, but nothing serious. But um, I have this like really nice uh, Korg uh, kind of piano. And I even went, like during the pandemic, I slowly, uh, played like the most basic form of uh, blue and green um, and uh, and uh, just you know online just looking at like hand progressions and just slowly picked it up over the course of like three days nice. to get it to a point where I could like connect to the song yeah it's it's trash but like but I got there no you know? it feels though, good though right I, it feels I, great I play guitar is my main instrument and I can play you know, those Miles songs on guitar. But piano for me is a challenge. I don't know why, it's just, I never clicked. I had lessons when I was young, but I couldn't click with it. I don't know what it was. But I did teach myself um, Monin by Bobby Timmons. And when I got that, I mean, just the root note, not like the solos yeah. and stuff, but but when I learned how to play that, there's something that feels so good about piano and being able to play it. So I, I envy people who are like blessed at piano. You know, if you watch like... Uh, monk or like art tatum mm-hmm. like watch them play i'm like man would it be amazing to be able to do that bill evans bill evans was epic. incredible i mean bill evans i that's that's someone else i listen to and um he's just he's just incredible and you know just yeah i mean there's so much there with bill evans i mean you know white dude but like so respected by all those great black musicians and yeah. I, I just i, I love that tenacity within his the greatness you right. know and like how black that music is but like bill evans is right there is that, Charlie <laughs> there's a couple of white guys who who made the <laughs> who had it you know yeah like uh Charlie bill Hayden definitely was in there you know mm. Mm. but yeah that's that's the that those records are so good i mean we could talk i was a jazz dj in college so we could go there i mean we could probably do an off-spin podcast just about the evolution of jazz and stuff it's good stuff uh, yeah, and, and for me, you know, I'm, I'm ignorant to a lot of, you know, outside kind of like talk around it, but um, I only buy the original press nice. and I only listen to vinyl in my space. So part of it is also like really trying to capture that originality yeah. of like when that stuff was created. And, and so Human Head is right down the street and those are my, those are my friends as well. And so I'll go in there um, probably like once a month and I'll just pick one original record, buy it, and then just like destroy it and then continue. Yeah, it's just the physicality of it. It's a different. Exactly. I mean, it, I know it's, it's a fetish. It's like fetishizing it, but it is different, you know. The sound of those vinyl is just, it's incredible. But did you see that, uh, the Lee Morgan documentary? I did. Man, that's a bummer. Inc- it's such a bummer. Um, I didn't know where that documentary was going to go, but yeah, yeah, such a bummer. Um, yeah, Lee is just how young he was. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many examples of that greatness with music and just like a, such a young life, not just music, but just art in general. But yeah, Grant yeah. Green is one of my favorites. And mm. I, I feel like, you know, I don't know how many Grant Green, huge Grant Green fans are, but the way he played guitar, I just, and playing guitar, I, I, I just love the way he played, you know? But his book mm. was really good too. Okay. He's a book on him. But yeah, I, I love reading jazz books for some reason. I don't, there's yeah, something I'm, about 
that hearing their story like the chet baker one was really good i mean talk about a messed mm. up life that dude had he had some issues too it was it's not an easy go for those guys you know and that's why when you see people like you know ron carter like people who've, who've like survived the storm you're like damn how did you make it through all that i mean even miles i mean he's yeah. he lived I, I, he went through so much man i can't believe but but yeah i'm reading uh charles charles mingus is uh I just started it, but um, that book starts off crazy too. I mean, it's like uh, he's basically three different versions of himself, and like I, you know, I, yeah. yeah. I think I've read. I don't know what book you got, but I read a little bit of Mingus, and I mean, he was tough, you know, on his on his on his band. You know, mm. the stories of mm. how he would like change the tuning and not tell them right before they go on for a gig, <laughs> so he'd start playing it was in a different yet. tuning, and he was <laughs> like, "What the." Like, he's like, if you can't adapt, then you're not able to play in my band, you know what I mean? But he would just do stuff like that. It was tough. And Dolphy, I want a good Dolphy documentary, because that guy's fascinating, too. Yeah, they're they're all so special, man. You know, to me, um, in terms of creativity and, like, uh, just artists in general, those, that whole era and those, those people are, are my heroes, you know, in terms of just, like, pure grit and just creation you know i just yeah. I, I pull so much from them and the the impact of black music on our culture today which is just you know it's ev- it's embedded in everything now culturally yeah, exactly. but they exactly. went through a period of breaking down doors when it wasn't easy not that it's easy now but yeah i mean they were segregated you know that was not easy you know what no, I mean? So, and just dealing with the backlash all the time. You know, I was reading about Dexter Gordon and he went to Paris, like he went over to Europe and it was just to escape all the BS that was going on here, you know. And he's mm-hmm. one of the best, you know, jazz musicians there are. So he, that tells you how tough it was to just be creative at that point in time. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. Are you into Sun Ra? Uh, <laughs> you, you seem like a, a purist with the bebop stuff. Yeah, I, I'm pretty pretty bland with like because for me, at this point, it is a kind of like comfort. I come in here, especially like winter's coming. I come in here. The smells are the first thing that I that I you know take in, and then I turn you know I press play, and it really kind of sinks me in. You know, no matter what's going on outside, the craziness of New York, it really is a comfort for me. So I'm pretty ritualistic with it. You know, Nick Hakim is uh, someone I listen to a lot, and and that's this kind of like, um, that's the other direction I go. But like outside of those kind of two, it's it's I don't really venture off too much. You know, I I don't seek new music usually yeah uh, you know I'll, it'll come to me through friends and like whatever uh on the radio or whatnot if if my tape player's not working but but um for the most part man it, it, I've, I've made my work with the same like five albums <laughs> do you do a uh do you do you do a spotify playlist we should do a uh bebop like blue note spotify yeah playlist. i i don't even you know honestly outside of the studio i don't even really listen to a ton of music yeah, so you like really I, connect I, it to the process, which is great. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, in my car, I'm not like a huge music head, you know? Like, I, don't, I like conversation. I like uh, no music and just kind of listening to the sounds, like, around me. And, and then when I don't, then I turn on music. But it's not a default. My right. default is no music outside of the space. Yeah. 
Well, mm-hmm. well, let's turn it back. So when you were, you played a lot of sports when you were a kid, right? Mm-hmm. You were running around. When did creativity enter the fold? Because I know a little bit about, you know, your venture into health and, and that field and then making the transition. But how did that play out? Yeah, so uh, from the beginning, basically, uh, when I, I went to Chico State uh, for, for undergrad. And, you know, uh, so when I got there, like the first couple of days, there was this, this alternative band, Bargain Music, and they were kind of sublimey, and they were playing in the free speech area. And, and I knew nothing about live instruments at that point. Well, like, just listening to them for like an hour, um, you know, I got moved, and I decided to take a like beginning guitar class, like music theory class. So that freshman year, 18 years old, I started taking a class. I didn't really connect to the class and the practice, but what I did was I started writing little like f- sublimey jigs, like on my own time, you know, high or whatever, and um, and it kind of picked up some steam in 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 Chico, and quickly like other musicians kind of found me, and I formed like this little like you know novice band. So that was like the beginning of um, my creativity. It happened so fast and we were playing around town and, and uh, that, that was the first time that I was like, oh, like I, I'm able to like create something that not everyone can and people seem to like it. Yeah. I listen to the shit now and it's like just an atrocity, <laughs> but it's so painful to listen to. But at the time, man, I mean, people liked it. Girls, guys, everyone liked it. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Th- th- that was the kind of first uh, intro. Um, but it was always high, drunk, you know, it was never serious and it kind of like faded with just, you know, with, with other things. Yeah. Well, that, that feeling of connecting with people, that's like kind of a a green light, you know, you get like a kick from that, you know? Yeah, definitely. So that was maybe an early seed that was planted, you think? Yeah, definitely. And, and, And it's like, I knew that I enjoyed like the performance aspect of it and, uh, but you know, I, I didn't have the discipline to yeah. break through or do anything with it. So it just kind of like was this frustrating thing that was there that I knew would kind of like never really materialize anything because of how like daunting the music industry was. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so that kind of was with me, uh, carried all the way from that point to like arriving to New York. Um, I, I started to kind of like dabble a little bit uh, in my free time with with the music again, uh, singing and writing stuff, but but always just kind of late night, nothing serious. Yeah. Well, where does the art side come in? The art side, like the visual art side. Um, so uh, I, when I got to New York, I, I went to acupuncture school for four years. And um, when I was getting out of acupuncture school and uh passing boards to to become a licensed acupuncturist i uh i just kind of like knew that if i was going to be serious about that that i i would probably should have to probably should um clean up a few like personal things and so i de- i decided to get sober and put down the booze and like the partying um before i started actively trying to tell people what to do with their lives right. and um and really in that process that was 2018 um, August 2018, I started that journey, and um, and really, I'm sorry, May May 2018, I started that journey, and uh, really in that transition, uh, and like having all this new time on my hands, not going out, not drinking, I uh, I started to um, 
try new things, which is suggested like when you're getting sober. And uh, so I started going to museums and just all these uncomfortable things that I really never was into. Um, And uh, in August of that year, I, uh, I, I, you know, had gone to the Brooklyn Museum and just was kind of moved by being in there. And uh, I I mentioned to my friend, uh, I think I want to like maybe try and like design or draw or something, you know, and she kind of suggested maybe you should paint, you know, and she actually bought watercolor brushes for me the next day. And um, they sat on my shelf for three more months. And August 2018, came home, same kind of deal. I was uh, a bit bored. What am I going to do today? You know, I I was working part-time just to kind of get by. And um, I decided to to try painting. Called a friend that went to RISD, asked her, you know, what should I paint? I'm going to try painting. And um, she's like, paint a self-portrait and I was like that's kind of weird you know I'm not into that and she explained she explained to me why like it's a common thing right so I went ahead and did that and I shared it with her and she was like dude like if this is the first thing you've ever painted like this is crazy you know she's like this is yeah yeah." she's like keep going dude like for real and I was like really oh okay and so I you know started sharing those first few watercolors with uh, my friends that were artists and um yeah they all kind of responded positively and I, I just call it ignorance call it whatever man but I just kind of put my head down and just was got obsessed about it I mean I literally I tell people this they don't really they don't really believe me but I was painting 15 hours a day yeah. um, eating painting sleeping literally nothing else I had my life was very small because I, I stopped hanging out with people that drank you know and I had a real small life and um, I was in that studio in Crown Heights and that's all I did, you know? And um, I, I started looking at, um, you know, first I found Alice Neal and like she blew me away with like just the, the vibrance in her portraits. And uh, through Alice, I found Henry Taylor. Once I found Henry Taylor, I was like, holy shit, like, like anything is possible in terms of what you can do uh, and like what, you know, what constitutes like a beautiful piece of work. Like you can really stretch it. and. Um, and I just dove in, man, and, and, and um, it really was just s- such a uh, profound time. I, was, I just enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed learning about what people were doing so much, man. And, and that's just what I did for those first two years, uh, for sure. Every single day for 15 hours a day, that's all I was doing. The few people that were around me at that time, they would be the first to tell you, literally, that's like all I did. Yeah, I think that's, you know, for people who really love to to work in whatever area they're working in, I think when you're introduced to that thing, you go into that rabbit hole. And for you, it sounds like you found it, you know, almost not by accident, but, it, you know, through a suggestion or an, it may have been a subconscious thing. And then you started the process. And you're like, oh, this I can feel this, you know what I mean? And then you dive into it. But I think, I mean, I hit that same thing when I was in undergraduate school. I was looking for something. You know, I was taking classes. It just happened to be in a university. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I'm, look, I'm taking classes. And I, you know, I liked art history class because I was always sort of interested in art. And then I went up and I saw the art studios. And I was just like, wow, this is cool. You know, and then I took a class. And the class was it. It was where I was like, oh, okay. And then I went into that same rabbit hole. I was, we were painting you know, when I got in the BFA program the next semester, we were in there 
day and night sleeping there and just working nonstop. And I think anytime you're introduced to that thing that you love, you just go all in, you know. But it's harder to do outside of school because you have real life stuff. It's easier to to work that way in, in school because you're encouraged to. Your teachers will say, paint spent or sculpt or whatever spend all your time doing this you know but when you're mm. not in school you don't have that so it's it's great that you were able to do that you know what i mean and really dive into it yeah definitely um yeah man and you've been in it ever since basically ever since yeah definitely i you know <laughs> it i uh i love it so much you know, I love the daily grind, the daily challenge, all the little micro challenges throughout the day. It just, what I found in diving into it is like it really soothed my personality, all the micro challenges throughout the process. It really, it soothed that competitive spirit that I had from sports. Like I no longer was interested in like jeopardizing my knees and my ankles and things like that. So that wasn't an option anymore. But it like really like soaked up all that like competitive desire in me to like battle myself and like yeah. improve to myself just how far I could take it. And uh, yeah, it's just such a blessing, man. I feel so fortunate to, I tell people this all the time too, the, the most, the thing that I'm just mo- proud of the most and like most into is that like I choose exactly what I do with every second of my day, my time here on earth for the rest of my life. That's, that's, the, that's it. Everything else is like whatever. Yeah. The choice, every second to choose what I'm doing, I wouldn't change that for anything. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah, that's the gift. And there's a lot of people who can't do it logistically because whatever they're making ends meet or they just can't do it. Or there's the other people that just don't find that thing you know, mm-hmm. I always feel so bad as someone who found something that they just absolutely love to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard if you don't have that. And there's a lot of people who just, I feel like everyone probably has that something, but it sometimes it's really hard to find it. And a lot of times it bumps into you and that's how you end up finding it, you know? So if you didn't, if you never had that person to give you watercolors or, you know, if I never ventured onto the third floor of that art building, you know, you never know, you know what I mean? If you, if you find it or not. So that's the, that is a real gift. Just knowing, you know, there's something you really want to do. And as someone who's played sports, you know, growing up, you know, I played soccer like all the time, baseball, football when I was really young, but you do get into that ritual. You love that sort of like, you know, practice, 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 even playing music, same thing. But, um, if you can translate that into something that you know, you probably won't blow out your knee and not be able to paint again. It's a nice feeling that you, <laughs> you can exactly. just keep doing it. You know, you're not going to retire out of it when you're 28. Exactly. And it's like, even, you know, uh, th- this last body work that I produced, uh, towards the end of it, I actually got injured, you know, cause it was like big gestural, big, big paintings. And at that point, I, it's not like I stopped. All I did was stop that work, sit my ass down. And I just did live portraiture and invited people to the space and was like healing while I sat. Right. And like, I still was able to do it yeah. more, you right. know, it's yeah, like, you weren't on like, the injured reserve list or anything. It's not like, yeah, no, I just off. shifted. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's that's an advantage. You know, it's funny because I'm I've 
I worked on collages for a long time that are really small cut paper and my hands just I think really paid the price for that like my mm-hmm. my knuckles and my hands are like carpal tunnel it's all stiff you know so like stretching big canvases is tough these days like it's gotten harder you know what I mean mm-hmm. but I can still do it <laughs> so, yeah yeah and you can and, always and scale I, down if you have to you know you just not like you have to make you know an 18 foot long painting for it to be you know legit so Exactly. That, and that's, that's what I love about visual arts is that, and also just being in the, in the community and, and there's just so many people doing such beautiful things. It's just so vast, man. You can do so much, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you look at people, uh, yeah, not even using their hands or, you know, using sound or wh- whatever. You, you can just continue to adapt with, uh, with what life uh, throws at you. Right. Well, the uh, as far as the subject matter, I mean, you started off with self-portrait. It seems like you are very interested in painting people around you, things around you, like the things that you're focusing in on, on the world around us. I mean, has mm-hmm. that just been something that was sort of in your wheelhouse and you just connected with that? Yeah. So like a, a few things, like one, you know, coming from acupuncture school and like we literally were palpating human bodies for four years yeah uh asking humans questions about how they felt seeing how the body responded and then like treating them and then again seeing how the body responded so in terms of like learning like the western explanation of the systems and like all the bones and muscular and how things moved i I just feel like i have a, a strong grasp of like the scientific background of those things so yeah naturally i think um whereas uh, you know, maybe for every person that the body might come off as intimidating to paint. For me, it, it just seemed natural with, with my, uh, with my background, but also, um, yeah, just the emotion side of it, you know, the things that I connect to most it, and, and it's really my black American experience and the experience of the other black people, uh, in, in this country and just the stories I've heard. And, you know, so I really, I really most moved by, um, those emotions, you know, I, yeah. So thus far in my young career, I, uh, that's what I've kind of gravitated towards. I do, I do see, um, me taking a left, you know, at some point I'm not, you know, I, I, I have desires to, uh, uh, paint plain air, you know, large plain air mm-hmm. and, uh, in my style. And, and so, you know, in due time, I plan to get there, you know, and right. I have friends that uh, are abstract artists and I love their work, you know, and, and I really, you know, although most of my work has been figurative thus far, like I, I plan to paint for a long time and, I, and I'm excited to see what else I can do for right. sure, when, yeah. it, when it feels right. You're not defining your work. You're just open to whatever you're painting when you're painting it. Yeah, and it's like the, the, the subject matter has really informed the techniques and the marks that I've learned and come familiar with. So, like, um, yeah, thus far it's, it's, it's been great um, and comfortable. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I always, every, every uh, thing I go into, I'm always trying to push my envelope of, like, what I'm comfortable with. And, you know, it, it's always a bit... Uh, um, frightening it's always a bit <laughs> like unsure and i like staying in that space when i'm creating because it just pushes me to to and sometimes i lose sometimes it's a complete failure at the end of the day i'm like oh man i feel so bad about myself but 
but uh yeah i mean i don't know do any of us actually ever get the comfort zone or is that where art goes to die whenever you get comfortable yeah what you're doing you know what i mean exactly it's like uh in in so few words it's like yeah you i'd be the first person to know when i have to switch it up because my 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 heart tells me you know it's like anytime that I've, i've liked something and i've tried to kind of like imitate it in any way with like the next thing it doesn't work it's like yeah. doesn't you know it's a stri- it's a strikeout it's like a completely different thing if i'm trying to imitate what i've already done because i liked it right it's just not the same process man you know yeah it's gotta it's not be what organic or something yeah exactly exactly you know, it's not what I, I do i've you know in making i've been making work for what i mean you know i don't want to say professional but you know i've been making serious work now for like over 25 mm-hmm. years and you know, I've found that like, if, if I'm compelled, whatever it is, doesn't matter what it looks like or what the inspiration is, but if I'm compelled by it, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Because if it's ever me trying to make something that I feel like someone else wants to see or feels like I, I should be doing this, whatever, it just doesn't fly. You know, it's gotta be, if it falls flat, it falls flat. But if I'm into it, that's like the most important thing because I think you have to sell yourself on what you're doing before you sell anyone else that that you're engaged in it you know exactly maybe that's like a little I don't know um, I don't know how to explain it maybe it's a little like old timey thinking like yeah if you really believe others will believe but I mean that's kind of you know I feel like if you really put your your heart into what you're doing like people will respond to it for good or yeah better. I think yeah, I think, you know, of course, there always needs to be, like, talent there of some kind, right? But, like, but um, I think, I think uh, yeah, it, it starts with being authentic with yourself, you know, before anyone has an opportunity to really feel, you know, th- things from your work. I, right. I, yeah, I'm not, I just, you know, it's, I, the few times that I've, I've tried to again imitate something that I, I, I did that I liked or whatever and, and try to change like the development of ideas. It just doesn't work. So Yeah. Um, yeah. Favorite sports quote is uh hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I, I mm. have that blue collar, you know, growing up in a family we didn't have a lot of money at all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And my dad worked double shifts and my mom worked. It was always like just work and you'll find things. Things will come out of like working through stuff. So that's just the way I I mean, I know there's a lot of conceptual artists or people who work in ways that are different than that, but for me, I just feel like that's the way it's got to be, you know? Kinda yeah, I agree. I wasn't blessed with some sort of, like, gilded hand. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's like, even, even, if I, even if my painting output um, and rhythm of that changes, the, the work done in, like, the, the pre-production, like, the obsession around imagery and, like, the thought around things... You know, I may not be producing as many paintings in a certain amount of time, but like the continual obsession of like everything leading up to actual paint on the canvas never changes. Right. It's it, there's so much that goes into that. It's just a, a continuum. You know, it's so hard. I, I've mentioned it on here a bunch, but that people outside of the field don't understand that like so much of work is not ways like leads up to the work or it's thinking about you know just sitting there and thinking or like looking at things or traveling or whatever is so important you know to the work really yeah like experience matters yeah i i mean it's that is the work right (laughs) it's like it's like it really is you know which is um 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it, I mean, majority of my practice is the lead up to. Once I start painting, I like to go pretty quickly, you know? Yeah. I like to like, I'd like to let it kind of happen. So I, I try not to get fixated on one line or it being too picture perfect. And, and I think all of that comes from the, the practice of preparation in like the buildup of really connecting my heart to like my technique, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I think it's a huge part of it. Um, so what are, you, what are you working on now? Do you have anything coming yes. up? Anything? Well, I, I currently have a show, a show open uh, at, at uh, Anna's Arena, mm -hmm. and um, that's open through November 26th. It opened on uh, August 20th, and um, that, uh, the titles, it goes to show. Uh, the, the subject is my, my life partner's um, godson uh, danced his way to a full ride to Juilliard. And, uh, nice. and so he's a sophomore at Juilliard right now. And, uh, and um, so, yeah, he, he's the subject. And, and I really try to capture his movements. Super proud of the show and the work. Um, currently, I am working on, <laughs> I've taken a turn. I'm working on um, a show that should be in Los Angeles next year. Mm -hmm. And um, and what I can say is uh, <laughs> I'm working with like a different medium. So it's, uh, it's uh, quite challenging when we talk about that fear and like <laughs> just the discomfort and like waking up and like when I'm normally so psyched to come to the studio, there's like so much fear because <laughs> the technique is doesn't work with this you know it's right. like a new it's a new everything and yeah. how the medium lays and how i blend and so while there's so much excitement to it and i'm super proud with what i produced uh, thus far it's like scary man you know? it's so nerve-wracking like nothing that i lean i'm comfortable leaning on it, it uh helps me yeah. Right now, currently. So yeah, but that it's nice. Means you're somewhere good. You know, you're doing something yeah. like challenging and, and good. It's definitely super challenging. And, <laughs> and not it's boring. Like, it's not boring. Definitely. It's yeah. not boring. It's like scary. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping you but, on your toes. Yeah. But the end result is so satisfying. That's you cool. know, yeah. it really is. And, and, and it's, it's good for my ego. And like it just smashes my ego, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like just, I just feel like a an amateur when it doesn't go right, you know. Definitely. So, uh, all right, last question: What is your favorite? This is a different because I usually ask people what they listen to in the studio, but I know what you're listening to. So, like, what's the food? Like, what is your your fuel? Like, how? What's your favorite stuff to eat? And then, what's your studio fuel? Yeah. Okay. So my favorite stuff to eat. Um, I I'm usually pre I I'm pretty healthy, relatively healthy. But there's a there's a restaurant around the corner called Carthage Must Be Destroyed. It's a bit expensive, but it's like top quality. Dude, my studio right there. there. That's where my studio is in that building next to it. Oh, okay. That's yeah. Yeah, they have uh, really know, good I, food there. I probably go there too much, but yeah. uh, <laughs> um, I'm the only one in there in the weekdays. But uh, I usually go there if I eat. A meal there uh, it's just like eggs and like really nice stuff but uh that usually will will uh satisfy me for until i get home later on but at home you know i i used to cook all the time uh that's that's uh starting to happen less and less now but um yeah i just like fresh stuff the, the best quality i can get 
you know, whenever I can get it. Uh, I used to be a member of the Park, uh, Park Slope Food Co-op, but I quit that. But, um, but uh, in the studio, um, it's a lot of coffee. There you go. Um, <laughs> bananas. <laughs> oh, dude, I mean, coffee, like, <laughs> it's, it's a vital part of my, uh, <laughs> it's my, my practice. It's my vice. It's my one. It's definitely my vice. My one drug of I, choice is caffeine. I, I do it. I bought a crazy, uh, a crazy setup for my house, and nice. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's a big part of, of what gets me up. Are we talking like siphon? Are you doing like pour? No, I'm or? doing. I'm no, I'm doing like uh, rocket espresso machine. Right. Um, uh, nice ass grinder that's like probably just as much as the espresso machine. You know what I mean? I'm right there um, with you. Yeah, man. It's uh, but it's already paid for itself, honestly. In the first year, it's funny because you, if you get a really like I, I do Breville. Like I have a Breville machine, and mm-hmm. it, I mean, it, it's not cheap, but it it lasts and it makes yeah. good coffee over and over. And my wife got me a really nice grinder, and it's you know, it's just like it pays for itself. If you go out and buy coffee every day, you buy like, you know, Bodega Swill coffee. It's like that stuff adds up. You just buy the stuff at home and you save yourself a lot of money, but you get good quality and you can control it, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. These days, I, I honestly prefer to make it. Yeah. 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 I've got the siphons. I've got pour over. I got the whole the whole bit, man. It's fun. I, it's like it I'm not, I don't drink, so I don't do the wine stuff or any of that. So I feel like coffee is, you know, you can geek out on it. Kind of exactly. Nice. You, you definitely can. I mean, that first like two months, there was a learning curve for me, you know, because I'll, you know, my, my lady likes different drinks, you know, I'll make it for her. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely poured into that just like I do anything else, you know? Yeah, yeah. And now, sure. n- now I feel, uh, yeah, I feel very connected to the machine. But well, listen, the next time you go over for that, for a lunch over there, hit me up because you can stop by the studio. It's literally five I will. steps away from where you're eating. So. Definitely. And you know, you know, what's funny is like, uh, I can't remember when I can't remember if it was, it, it had to have been after I started painting, but I saw some type of video or, or maybe it was like one of those art shows, but it, it was you making your work, you know? And, um, I just remember all the little cups of paint and like, it, it's a vague memory, but, but once I started looking on your page, like it definitely, you're the person that I saw in this like video, video. a while ago. Yeah. yeah. And, um, cause there's a lot of like, uh, cityscape and then like, you know, I, there's a, yeah, I, I just, it's a, it's a faint memory, but, uh, that your, your work is definitely the work I saw a long time ago where I was like, that's cool, man. You that's know? a nice way of telling me that I'm old. <laughs> no. Well, I've only been looking at art just for kidding. four years. So <laughs> it's not, that's a vague memory that. for me too. I think it might have been they did this mini documentary on me. These people who were art advisors, and they just asked, "Oh, is it cool if we just film you painting?" You know, and I was like, "I mm. thought it would be like you know a two minute YouTube thing or something." This was back in the day, and uh, they ended up showing it at Sundance, and they had like DreamWorks people working on it, so it was legit. I just thought they were coming in to make like a little you know rinky dink like two minute like this is a guy who paints, but it was actually pretty well done which was nice to use for like showing people my work you know mm. yeah maybe it was a maybe it was a bit to that i'm not sure but i would love to come by yeah and you're well you're welcome here whenever sounds good well uh it was a great meeting and uh thanks so much for doing it love the work and for- it was really cool to talk thank you brian i appreciate it yeah yeah um it was it was a pleasure thank you Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. 
Many thanks to Alvin for taking the time to talk. Many thanks to Michael Lovett for the intro. Many thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about the podcast by going to the website, soundvisionpodcast.net. You can check out more images of my work at brianalfred.net or at Alfred Studio on Instagram. You can follow Sound and Vision at Sound and Vision Podcast on Instagram. There's a couple ways you can support the podcast, which are really helpful and important. If you can subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on, that helps spread the word. And also, you can pick up a copy of Why I Make Art, Contemporary Artist Stories About Life and Work, the Sound of Vision Podcast book. And if you already have it, if you could tell a friend or leave a rating or review, it helps get the book out there to more people who might be interested in hearing these artists' stories, checking out photos, sketchbook drawings, quotes. There's a lot of stuff in there. So that is a great way to support the podcast. we got some great people coming up. Stay tuned, and many thanks for listening.